Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. When we commoditize people and we see them as a number or in the, is what we're finding out as a transaction, we've lost. And our laws, and are, they're quite archaic, and they haven't caught up with the privatization and the corporatizing of essential services. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and the GRC Professional Online. And today we have Brett Flower, who is the founder of Elka. Um, how are you doing today? Good, thanks, Kwame. Yourself? Uh, not too bad. You know, we just had the conference as we were discussing prior to podcast. Uh, so lots of interesting things out of that. But today we're here to discuss um, non-financial risks. And we're discussing this because I think a couple of weeks ago, ASIC released a report um, sort of looking at non-financial risks and some of the deficiencies that some organi- organizations have in that space. So not to waste too much time, um, obviously I had a conversation with you right after that report came yes. out. And, you know, one of the interesting things is you, you highlighted that this topic was a particular bug bugbear for you. Why is that? Uh, it's quite simple. I come from a, uh, for better or for worse, come from a sales and marketing background, and uh, I like to funny focus on a damage to a reputation of a brand and a company. Um, accountants and lawyers, look, they have an extremely important place, um, but that place is in the back office supporting. Um, it shouldn't be prima facie place in the front pages um, of, of basically all of our media um, that we're seeing and, and headlines. On, on television um, explaining why their management teams got it so wrong. Um, that's the job of the board and the executive. They set out the strategy and the rules of engagement, I like to call it. It seems to me at least that um, our senior leadership uh, have an accountability problem. All right, right. Well, there you go. Well, I, I feel like I was. the next question is going to ask you, you know, what particularly bothers you, but I feel like that that is what bothers you. But is there any a, a bit more to that? that yeah, look, I, I'm yeah. I'm a very vocal advocate about accountability and leadership. It doesn't come across, and it's not that common. Um, but for me, it's quite simple. Uh, it's culture. Uh, we look at the banking and the aged care royal commissions that are ongoing now, and now an inquiry into the banking and why they they don't pass on interest rates. It's just ongoing. And both of these, just one of uh, both of these. Uh, commissions and these inquiries are highlighting systemic failures in operational compliance, governance and accountability of our senior executives. When we commoditize people and we see them as a number or in the, as what we're finding out, as a transaction, we've lost. And our laws, and they're quite archaic and they haven't caught up with the privatization and the corporatizing of essential services. So we we look at the aged care service providers. There's $1.7 billion worth of profits through the 2018-2019 financial year. And yet one in three people over 65 are living in poverty. Um, There's something just not adding up. You look back again, CBA was privatised in 1996. Then we had energy companies privatised, power stations privatised, major arterial roads privatised. And I can remember when I was working um, with the SOCOG in the Olympics, in 2000, you could ride in a privately private banking-funded taxi along a private bank-funded tollway. You arrive and you can get out at the privately-owned international airport or you could park in the privately-owned car park at the international airport. Um, 
that's just, again, we haven't caught up. And this is, we're only talking 19 years ago, then the corporation, or 18 years ago, when the corporation act came into play. So it was in 2001. And a lot is changing. You know, when I keep on referring to culture, the fun facts are, you know, the word culture features just once in a 120,447-word, 522-page document called the Corporations Act, just once. It doesn't feature at all in the master's degree text in corporate governance that our new leaders coming through are studying. And it, do, it, it doesn't feature, or it didn't feature, up until very recently against my many and vocal advances to include it, in some of our largest institutions' corporate governance teachings. Yet, funny enough, in the last 12 months, in the Hain Report, it, the word culture features 163 times across three volumes of the Hain Report. So personally, I see culture as the main non-financial risk to any organisation. This will upset the accountancy and the legal professions and the consultancy world because corporate culture is an intangible. Right, yeah, I guess that makes perfect sense. And, you know, you mentioned accountability earlier, and obviously, you know, the APRA has been, you know, in a lot of headlines um, not too long ago. And, of course, there's lots of discussion about the expansion of the regime, um, as well as, you know, ASIC also having a bit of a handle over that as well. Um, so, you know, obviously you've touched on it in terms of an education perspective and in terms of legislative perspective. But, I mean, are there any other reasons why non-financial risks are such a challenge for companies? Um, I think it's like where I mentioned just previously. Ironically, it's because you can't put a value on corporate culture. You can see how a negative culture affects revenue and profit. We have daily headlines, evidence of that. But this, as always, is calculated after the event or after the proverbial hits the proverbial. So we have a reactive culture. We always will change laws and legislation and address gaps in compliance or failings of corporate culture after the mess or the, the happenings are exposed. Good or great businesses address the needs and have people and strategists that are smart enough to look for those gaps before they happen and, and they can plan for it. So you don't have uh, this, this trend of employing teams of lawyers and accountants again, apologies to their professions, but they're made available afterward to clean up the messes that have been made by the senior executive. So we no longer invest in people. You know, training is seen as a chore and it's not a necessity. It's a compliance tick box now. So you don't have this issue with the military or elite athletes, symfo symphonic musicians or prima ballerinas for that, mm. for that matter. It, no, it just seems to be in the corporate world. And I learned this from Tom Peters at a speech here. Um, who's a, he was a McKinsey boy. Um, he, that was one of his dogmas. He said, we do not train people enough. It should be the number one priority for just about any organisation. Right, yeah, and it's interesting. You talked about a metric for culture, and it's going back to Royal Commission, which you mentioned earlier. You know, obviously, we were talking about below and above the community standards, but even that, I guess, is not really enough um, from a corporate perspective. I guess they need something a bit more definitive than that. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It needs to be intangible. This yeah. is the thing. They've got to look and touch and feel it. Uh, right. Well, I mean, what? so some solutions now, I guess. It's, you know, what are some of the ways that you've seen companies um, try, you know, at least come close to getting this right um, in terms of non-financial risks? Look, um, it's controversial, um, but I'm, 
I'm a little bit left of field in most things. So I don't believe in this uh, great place to work and best place to work uh, mantra that there is out there. Um, by example, uh, CNBC in partnership with LinkedIn Poll named uh, our top four banking institutions as the best places to work last year. Now, you look at the findings of the Royal Commissions and the toxic workplaces that are exposed, it just does not add up. Mm. So how can they be regarded as the best four places to work? Um, it's more, for me at least, um, and from the feedback I'm, I'm hearing, I mean, you, you work in a, a shared workspace here. For me, it's, it's more about, an, uh, more than having an on-site cafe or a chill-out noise dep- deprivation egg or a Lego room. I believe it's those organisations that give their people a voice, they champion equality, they champion sustainability, and they constantly question the status quo. Um, Salesforce and Intuit, the financial um, software company, I believe they are excellent in this field and that a lot of the media that I've read and a lot of the feedback I have from the network is that they are spot, spot on in this space. But the big thing is they always admit that they too are constantly trying to evolve and work on that. So that's the thing is constantly challenging them, challenging that status quo. Um, but there is still way too many out there that will say one thing and do exactly the opposite. Right, right. Um, well, you know, one of the things, because obviously we've had a podcast before yeah. um, and we've, you know, a couple of articles and one of the things you've definitely mentioned is, is that question of influence within the organization um, and regardless of title and that, that sort of resounded with me because of course you always hear tone from the top but of course <laughs> tone can really be set from anywhere can't it oh absolutely yeah. yeah I believe the tone can come from the top but influence comes from the bottom um, that's a really uh, very simple thing that we see and we're seeing this across <laughs> let's, we, we were just discussing off air mm. the rise of um, the the, 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 the the tone from the top or the influence from the bottom we look at Hong Kong we look at Beirut we look at what's happening in Chile the influencing uh, to get set a different tone at the top so in the Corporations Act we we look at section 9 not getting too much into it because it, we don't want listeners to turn off yeah. when, when, when we hear the Corporations Act so we, we tend to pigeonhole the board the CEOs the CFOs and the CIOs as the ones who hold accountability in the organisation set the direction but the act actually states a director let's talk about directors first is a company or uh, a director of a company or other body means a person who is appointed to the position of a director is a person appointed to a, a position of an alternate director or is acting in that capacity regardless of the name that is given to their position so we take that a little step further and we look at what is an officer so the officer, if we look at the Corporations Act again, it says as officer is someone who makes or participates in making decisions that affect the whole or substantial part of the business or the corporation. And importantly, and I think this is a really big one, who has the capacity to affect significantly the corporation's financial standings. So you think about marketing managers, you think about PR, think about communications managers, you think about a whole raft of people who can do and say things and act in a way that can affect the financial capability of organisation. So we tend to be a little bit complacent in that side of things of the Corporations Act, of our understanding at least. Right, right. Well, come down to the last question now, really. Um, It's the advice piece (laughs) that we like to have. Um, So what advice do you have for risk and compliance professionals who are trying to get this right? Yeah, look, um, it's, it's, 
what I can probably suggest is what I can tell them not what to do, and that's be like what I found when I studied most of my peers back two years ago. Is don't be like that eighty-seven percent of people who don't who who go into a, a directorship um, or an officer's role uninformed and unsupported, um, eyes wide shut. I'd like to call it. You've got to know the basics, and it doesn't mean spending thousands of dollars and giving weeks away of your already time poor life. Um, if everyone that works on a building site in Australia has to do a mandatory general induction system, just to step foot on a building site, surely investing at least one day to discover a pathway to protect yourself from personal liability is a sure investment. So you must apply an inquiring mind and continually question the status quo. But alas, you know, we've grown up here in Australia with a mantra, she'll be right. Um, these three words are, are causing us endless amounts of problems with governance, with accountability, specifically non-financial accountability as well, and the endless Royal Commissions we have proven. All right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Brad. Thank you, Kwame. Pleasure to be here. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.